everybody at home right here it's so good to be back well i was going to say where i belong but i belong to my wife too she's getting attacked by the enemy i need to be there for her to protect her and to nurture her and the kids you guys belong in children's church so you leave with miss stephanie right here heading that way but I also belong here with you feed god's sheep preach the word to you and I'm so looking forward to sharing the word with you today because I love beating up on the devil with the word of God. It's like a battering ram, a baseball bat. And uh, he lies to people all day long. Jesus called him the father of lies. And this right here is the truth. And when the word is preached, it literally <clears throat> just obliterates lies and sets you free. I was just talking to someone before the service today, and they were just getting pummeled with lies from the devil. And they was going to ruin their worship. And uh, I've got to recognize those lies. And so we're going to get into it today. I love how the Holy Spirit moves among us. Because I know what I was going to teach and some of the things I have in my notes. Um, by the way, here's my notes for today. It's uh, about a thousand thoughts that I've been getting from the Lord over the last month or so. So we'll see how it goes. It's like it's like it's like a chicken with ink on its claws just jumped on a piece of paper and just like that. But I think there's some divine thoughts in here that are going to help you. But um, but uh, but the the proof is in the pudding, and so we always like to give testimony. So um, it's so interesting how the devil works. The person I was talking to uh, that was battling with some lies from the enemy this morning is going to have their worship robbed from them. Also, uh, called Gary and Kathy after the message last Sunday we taught on deliverance. Great message, by the way, Gary. Wasn't that a great message, y'all? Great job. On the, on, the, on the teaching, very balanced and very powerful. And uh, so she called them, and they had a, a Zoom uh, meeting, went through some deliverance steps, experienced great freedom, didn't even pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's, it's about removing roadblocks and blockages so that heaven can just flow. Sometimes it's not trying to get God to do something. Sometimes it's getting satanic obstacles out of the way or our own blockages out of the way so that God who, who Jesus said, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. Sometimes the rivers are just, just, just uh, blocked. They're just, they're barricaded. And so we pray for God, you know, flow, God, flow. And he's saying, well, we got some things got to move out of the way, like unforgiveness, bitterness, uh, whatever it might be, you know, sin addictions, you know, rebellion, pride, whatever it might be. Sometimes that's what's going on. And, and so the river will just flow. So anyway, they dealt with some stuff. They didn't even pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. About 10 minutes later, she calls back and says, and she's here in the service today, called back and said, something strange happened. I mean, about 10 minutes after we hung up, all of a sudden I just started speaking in this weird language. What was that about? What's going on? And she just burst out in other tongues, man, flowing in the Holy Spirit. Isn't that awesome? Come on, the series we've been in and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit isn't just to teach it. That's worthless. In fact, that's worse than not teaching it at all. If all we get is teaching without the encounter, that's worse than not teaching it at all. Because now we become disconnected from it. It's like, well, I know you've taught me about it, but I'm not experiencing it. And so there's this disconnect. That's why we're really big on encounters and experiences. This book, some people are afraid of experience with God. As though you're going to get off into something weird. 
If you take all the encounters out of this book, you don't have a book. Every page you're going to find an encounter, an, an experience, a story, a divine invasion of God into the human race. That's what this is. It's not a textbook. God's book. And so today I want to start a two-week teaching on the goodness of God. I'll tell you why. As many of you know, we are we have we have we are enduring an onslaught, an attack from the enemy. Uh, my wife just coming out of a year and a half of chemo treatment, and then we're taking a walk, and she trips in a pothole, breaks her leg, her elbow, and her right kneecap in a wheelchair for five weeks, and then as she just begins to be able to shuffle around a little bit, I take her out to breakfast, and I'm going down a little ramp, and the wheelchair flips backwards, and she breaks her back. And, uh, you know, you just have to scratch your head and say, what the heck? And as she was talking to one of her doctors this week, uh, I overheard, because I was on the couch with her, and I'm listening to everything the doctors are saying. And uh, the doctor said, you know, I know you're a spiritual person. I just have to say, you know, sometimes you got to wonder, what is he doing up there? And that's the default for many of us. Right? You know, why God? Why are you letting this happen to me? You know, why aren't you why, why aren't you uh, stopping this? Why God? What are you doing up there? And she on the phone, I said, that's the wrong question. If you have a right theology, if you understand uh, the way this whole spiritual realm and the earth and the heaven and hell and demons and angels and God and Satan and you and I and us and him and us and him. If you understand that from the biblical perspective, the question is, God, what are you doing up there? It's Satan. What are you doing down there? What are you devising down there? What are you strategizing down the headquarters of hell for my device? Paul said this. We are not ignorant of Satan's schemes. That word schemes means a pre-planned strategy to destroy you. The Bible says that the Son of God came to the earth to destroy the works of the devil. You see, Jesus has a strategy too. He comes with authority. He comes with the power of His Spirit. He comes with His church. Come on. The Bible says that God uses the church to show His wisdom to all the principalities and powers in the air. He uses people, broken, fallen human beings who have come to His Son. Doesn't matter how young you are, how old you are, what sex you are. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter how much of the Bible you know or don't know. If you're in Christ Jesus, you have His authority, His name, His Spirit, and demons have to do what you say. When, when Satan killed Jesus, at least he thought he did, it was pre-planned by the Father, he thought he had won. What he didn't know was after Jesus rose from the dead and then he went and breathed his spirit on 3,000 people, now you got 3,000 little Jesuses that you got to deal with. That's why they called them Christians. I-A-N-S is tiny. Christ, tiny Christ. That's where that came from. Little, And it wasn't a compliment. It was, it was derogatory. It was the mockers. They called them, you're just a Jesus freak. You ever heard that? You're a little, you're like a little Jesus running around. Yeah, I am. And you better watch out. Because if you have a demon, it's coming out, right? That That's who the church is. And the church now has millions and millions of believers. And if we knew who we were, 
the devil would not be getting away with so much. So why am I teaching on the goodness of God? Today, I'm teaching God is good. Next week, I'll teach on God does good. The reason is, and today I'm teaching on spiritual warfare and the goodness of God. How do those, how do those go together? Well, in the middle of this chaos, where you wake up every morning and you open your eyes and it dawns on you the trial that you're in, and you just like, whew. anybody ever felt that? Anybody? <laughs> come on, come on. Anybody ever going through such a deep trial, chaos trial, irrational things going on and they just don't stop and you wake up and you're hoping it was a bad dream and you wake up and it's like, oh, no, it's real. Yeah, so that's what we've been in for months and months and months. I get up and I woke up a few weeks ago and the song, The Goodness of God, the Colette was belting out there just a few minutes ago. I don't know if you heard me over there. I couldn't help my eyes. Sing it, girl. Come on. You got to sing about the goodness of God right in Satan's face. Now, I'll tell you what. Because Satan uses trials and tragedies and people and everything he can. He'll throw everything he can at you in the hopes that you will start to believe that God is not good. That's the whole point. That's where it began in the garden. He came to Adam and Eve and said, did God say the first thing the father of lies did, the very first thing he did to the human race was try to sow a lie into your mind. Did God say? Well, let me tell you something. He wasn't telling you the truth. That's what Satan said to Eve. He wasn't telling you the truth. The truth is, if you would live on your own, live in your own independent world, live by your own thoughts, your own philosophies, your own wisdom, your own morals, you would be happier. That's the lie he sold to Eve, and he's still selling that to the human race, and it's still working. That's why the Bible says... Cast every thought and imagination down and bring it into the submission of the authority of God. Every time you think, here's, here's what God says, right? It doesn't matter what it is, your finances, your relationships, your sex, your sexuality, whatever it might be. However you view the world, the worldview, this is what I think is right in this situation. Well, what does God think? Well, God thinks this, because that's what the Bible says. So that's what I've heard it preached. But I think this. You just put your thought over God's thought. You're in trouble. Number one, it's not going to work. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life leading away from the snares of death. Our independence is our greatest enemy. What I say, what I think, nobody's going to tell me, right? You're in some kind of sin. You've rationalized it. You hang out with people that say, ah, you know, this is okay. Don't be extreme. Don't be religious. It's okay to fool around just a little bit. Well, no, God says, yeah, oh, I know. I've heard that. And what's happening is your heart starts growing harder because of your pride and independence. And Satan's like, oh, yeah, this is good. What's he doing? Satan will use your pride. He'll use your arrogance. He'll use your own human philosophies. He'll use music and movies, and media, and social media to try to get into your brain, to try to get into your thoughts. What is he trying to do? He's trying to separate you from God, from the wisdom of God, from the goodness of God. Because that's what he told them in the garden. God is not good. He's withholding from you. That's what he told them. And let's say this is God right here. 
Let's say you and God are walking. Well, here it is. You and God are walking side by side. We're doing good. And all of a sudden, boom, you take a hit. Some kind of circumstance. Or somebody does you wrong. Boom. Oh, knife in the heart. Oh, knife in the back. Oh, another circumstance. And you start thinking, if God was good, why? Ooh, dangerous word. Dangerous word. Why? We demand an answer. The human race. We need we need the why satisfied before I do any before I move anywhere. God doesn't owe us an answer. He, he does not owe us anything. In fact, he didn't owe us anything but judgment, and what he did was come and gave us the life of his son to save our sorry selves. But he is good. And so sometimes he does answer our whys, but sometimes he doesn't. Because he knows more than we do. Sometimes we can't handle the why. We just have to trust. Can I hear an amen? Because I started preaching there about a minute ago. Right? And so what happens is you say, why God? You don't get an answer. You get disappointed. Anybody ever been disappointed with with your spirituality, your spiritual life? You walk away. Come on. I don't want to be preaching to a church full of liars. Has anybody here ever been spiritually disappointed? Unanswered prayers. It's not working. The mountain's not moving. God's not answering, right? Disappointed. You know what happens? You get disappointed enough and you start kind of dissing yourself from God. Now you're just, there's the gap here. Let me say something about the gap. The gap is an issue. That's what Satan's trying to do is get a gap. Because the bigger the gap, the more vulnerable you are to attack. Because when you're over here, you can ask God, uh, hey, what's going on? Even if you don't get an answer, well, I'll tell you what, this is what I do know. You're good. And so I'm just going to stay right here. And if all I get is your presence, well, that's more than enough. I don't understand it, but I got a piece that passes understanding. And Satan's like, ah, dang it, I want to mess with your understanding. I want to sow thoughts into your mind. Well, I don't have to understand it all. Oh, well, you're a simpleton. Thank you. I'll take it as a compliment. That's right. I'm simple. I'm humble. I don't need to know it all because I know him. He knows it all. And that's all that matters. I'm staying as tight as I possibly can to him. You are not going to separate me and him. What happens if you don't, if you don't, if you don't believe God is good and you believe that he does not, if you do not believe he has your best interest in mind all the time, well, what do we do with dangerous people? We stay away from dangerous people. God's not safe. God's not good. What do we do? We get disappointed. You get disappointed enough. You get that gap big enough, you start getting disillusioned. See, I'm already off camera now. You see what happens? You just disappear. God's over there. You're all the way over here. Kind of like Lion King, right? Remember Mufasa told Simba, don't you go on out there in that dark place over there. See that land where the don't go out there. Uh-uh. And what's Simba do? Simba's like, oh, it don't matter. Dad doesn't always know what's right. I'm going to go play out there. That's your sinful nature. Your sinful nature says, I want to go four-wheeling. I want to go off-roading, man. I want to go have some fun, right? You go all the way out there to the dark land. Guess who's out there? Come on, you guys have seen The Lion King, right? Scars out there, right? I mean, you guys got that metaphor when you watch that. You saw it. You understand the allegory there, right? 
got the Father, the Son, the monkey with the Holy Spirit, and you got Scar Satan. You guys picked up on that, right? I don't know if the Holy Spirit appreciates being the monkey, but anyway. So you go from you go from disappointment, you get enough disappointment, you get disillusioned, you get enough disillusion, what do you get? You get disconnected. Now you're disconnected from God. Now you are real trouble. Because the trial is is still there. But now you're in the trial with the devil. All the way out disconnected from God. Because he used disappointment to get you disillusioned, to get you disconnected, so he could just mess with you. And now you're out there with your own philosophy, your own wisdom, your own strength, your own bitterness and pride, victimization, poor me. You're well balanced by that point. You got a chip on both shoulders. I'll try that again. You're well balanced. You got a chip on both shoulders. The key is to stay right here. Man. Satan is so, he plays so dirty, man. It's like, it's like having divorced parents, right? And one of them's whack, and that's why the marriage didn't work. I've seen this. I've counseled so many people. I've seen this so often. Sometimes it, you know, it was, it was both parties. Every once in a while, you come along in a situation where it's primarily one of the spouses, and they were just unmanageable. They were just so broken that there was no hope whatsoever. But what ha- what I've seen happen is the children, if they end up staying with the sick spouse, the, the broken spouse, and they, all they do is get an earful of that one spouse about the other spouse. You grow up thinking, let's say it was your dad and he's out and you're, with, you're stuck with mom and mom's the problem. But she has persuaded you by her retelling of the story, because you were too young to understand, that your dad's a bum, your dad abandoned us, your dad cheated on me, your dad did this, your dad does that, your dad. And so you grow up thinking this about dad. That is what Satan has done to the human race about God. Oh, religion has caused all the problems in the world. Oh, really? Have you heard of Marxism? Have you heard of Stalin? Have you heard of Hitler? Have you heard of communism? Have you heard of atheism? Have you heard of uh, of of uh, mass killings of the human race by the millions? You can point to the Crusades. That was a very bad moment in Christianity. But you know that Christianity, religion, is responsible for the hospitals, for mercy missions, for the universities, for everything good on the planet. Came out of the hearts of good people, God's people. But Satan uses all sorts of mediums to communicate the opposite message about the church. Because Satan hates her. Why? Because the church is the bride of Christ. The church is the only threat Satan has. So he has got to come against the word of God like he did from the very beginning. Did God say, this book isn't written by God. That was written by human beings. You can't trust that. Where are you going to go now? Now we're back to your own philosophy. And so you grow up listening to that one voice and you think 
that God's not good, that God's a killjoy. That being fully submitted to God somehow is trading down. That's the lie. We're already down. The human race is already down, already fallen, already broken. Have you noticed it's not working? I'm telling you, the greatest place of peace, the greatest place of joy, the greatest place of continual wisdom is when you finally do this. Ooh, that is the peace, the greatest peace on earth. Just got my pants wet. That's messed up. See, the earth's broken. Don't even know where the puddles are. You kneel down. You, you think you're trading for less, you actually get all of heaven. And the first thing that's restored is your peace. And you know what else? Now, you have authority over the liar. You're like, hey, wait a minute. See, when the kids grow up and then they move out and they start spending time with dad, and they get the other side of the story, and they have as an adult some of their own encounters with mom. It could be flipped around the other way, own encounters with dad, and you're just, all of a sudden the lights start coming on, you're like, hey, wait a minute, you're the whack job. This mom, mom or my dad had to get out of here because of you, and I've experienced, see, that's what happens when people wake up, when the human race wakes up and realizes who the devil is, Paul said it. We are not ignorant of Satan's devices, schemes, pre-planned strategies for your demise. We're not ignorant of them. Most of the human race is ignorant. We don't even believe he exists or we don't want to believe he exists. And so what do we do? When tragedy happens, we blame it on God. Even insurance companies. We cover everything except for why don't they put acts of Satan in there? Yeah, what about his acts? Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Jesus said so. And when he comes and he kills, <coughs> excuse me, kills, steals, and destroys, then we blame it on God. That is why it is a huge mistake for us to try to analyze and deduce whether God is good or not through outward circumstances. Because the world is fallen. Bad things happen to good people. Period. Bad things happen to good people. Good Christian people. Because we live in a fallen, broken world. And we are fallen. People are going to do bad things to you. Christian people do ugly things to you. People come to church and they think they're going to find perfect love. Well, sorry, because you're here. You just ruined it for everybody when you showed up. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. We're not perfect. We just all found Jesus. They stuck us together. And every once in a while we hurt each other. That's why forgiveness is so critical. Let me tell you something about unforgiveness. Talk about the enemy. Talk about access into our lives. That's the question I'm asking right now, by the way. Don't let me forget to talk about that unforgiveness piece. 
What I'm asking right now is this, and here's here's how I'm able to ask this question. I'm not asking God, what are you doing and why are you doing it? That's not my question. My question to my God, because he's good. He's on my side. He's always on my side. I say, what is Satan doing and how is he getting access into my family right now to be able to get away with this mayhem? That's my question to the Father. And you see, as long as I stay close to him, I'll get answers and wisdom from him. So the first thing he did when I got up, one of my devotionals, which is where this message came from, was I had that song, The Goodness of God, that Colette was singing, going through my head. You ever woke up and you can't get a song out of your head? I like it when it's a worship song. I hate it when it's one of those jingles that you can't get out of your head. It torments you all day long. The goodness of God, the goodness of God, the goodness of God. And then I sat down to do my devotionals and I opened up to that passage I was reading a little bit from the book of Exodus when we were opening worship. And as I was reading down here, I want you to see something so important. Moses went out and met with God, Exodus 33. And God had promised them already prosperity. He said to them, you know what? You're going to go to the promised land. My angel is going to go with you. You guys are going to be so blessed. Have everything you want. You can have the house you want. You're going to get the car you want. You're going to get the man or the woman that you want. Your kids are going to be successful. You have the career that you want. You guys are going to be, my blessings are with you. You're going to be so blessed. And Moses said, that, oh, uh-uh, no, uh-uh, because God said, but I'm not going with you. And Moses said, oh, then I'm staying here in the desert. I don't want a car. I don't want a house. I don't want the best donkey that, that Egypt has to offer. I don't want any more manna. I don't want anything that you're going to give to me if you're not going to be with us. I'll stay right here in the desert with your presence. And God said, oh, I like that. Okay, all right. My presence to go with you. But you know what? He still It still wasn't enough. This is big right here. What I'm about to say is big. God says, I'll give you my blessings and my presence. And Moses said, that's still not enough. <laughs> what did he say? He goes on down and he says, and verse 18, go ahead and shout it out. You know what he said? Please show me your glory. In other words, every time you show up, your presence shows up in this cloud. And you talk to me. And I appreciate it. I appreciate the blessings. Not enough. I appreciate your presence. Not enough. I want you. <laughs> Woo! I want you, God. I mean, you got... Ooh, God. I mean, if you're in a relationship and they're married to you because they have to be obligated, being good to you because the marriage manual said I'm supposed to be? How, how are you going to respond to that? How would you respond to that? Your spouse looks at you, your boyfriend, your girlfriend says, I love you because I have to. <laughs> what are you going to say? <laughs> That's how God feels. Or how about this? How about, you know, the gold digger? Right? Marry God for his money. 
God bless you, bless me. My name is, you know, give me, give me, my name is Jimmy. I mean, that's, you know, pretty much the, most of us, the body of Christ, loaves and fish crowd, right? God, you haven't answered my prayer. I'm mad at you right now. God answered my prayer. I love you so much. Moses said, I don't care about your blessings. I don't care about your presence. I want you. I want to see your glory inside of you. What's in there? Who are you? What are you made of? You're amazing. You're awesome. You see, God pursued Moses first when he found him out in the desert. And the more Moses got to know God, Moses started pursuing God. Because he had encounter after encounter after encounter with God. And every time he had an encounter with God, he saw more of God's goodness. And he couldn't stand it. Until he finally said, oh, this cloud is irritating me. I need more of you, God. And you know what God's answer to him was? This is, I think, the most revealing scripture in the entire Bible. I want you, God. And God says, I will make all my goodness pass before you. God defined the inner of himself, the inner core of his being, his glory. Show me your glory. God said, okay, I will let you see who I really am. I will let you see my goodness. What does it say in the book of Genesis? Creation. God created on the first day he created it and it was, say it out loud. The second day he created and it was. Third day he created and it was. Fourth day he created and it was. Fifth day he created and it was. Sixth day he created you and I and he said it was. Very good. You're not an animal. He created all of creation. And then he saved the best for last. And he made you and I in his image. He didn't make animals in his image. He made you and I in his image. We are human beings. A reflection of God himself. That's why Satan hates you so much. And that's why he wants to separate you from God. He says, I will show you my goodness. I'll proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious. I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. But you can't see my face because no one can see my face and live. In other words, he said, I am so good that if you saw the fullness of my goodness, it would kill you. Because I'm good and you're not. And those two really can't spend... I can't I can't give you the full blast of my goodness. It, it would it'd blow you away. But I, I'll show you my afterburners. I'll kind of cruise on by and give you a little bit of, a little bit of, a little glimpse. I got a little glimpse of God one time in a vision. Undid me for about three weeks. I, I literally, it lasted a second. I saw Jesus and his earthly ministry in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit just gave me a vision, open-eyed vision. I, I fell apart for about three weeks. Remember when, when Jesus revealed himself to Peter when they're on the fishing boat? It was just a rabbi. Peter's a fisherman. But once he realized he was the son of God, what did he do? Fell down at him, on his knees and said, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. You see, when you see the goodness of God, you see the sinfulness of you. All arrogance, pride, your philosophy, who nobody cares about anyway. Heaven certainly doesn't care what you think about things because they know you and I know nothing. God knows it all. But we're so arrogant. We're so prideful. 
And Satan uses it. That's why humility is the key to the release of heaven on earth in your life. Submitting to God. The Bible says, James, submit to God. Then there's a period there. Submit to God, period. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Because when you submit to God, now you have authority over the devil. But if you're rebelling against God, you're a rebellious spirit, just like Satan's a spirit of rebellion. A rebellious spirit can't tell a rebellious spirit what to do. All right. So, having said that, let me see how much time I have left here because I want to take you somewhere to show you the difference between, say, God good. Come on, say, God good. Satan bad. I know it's complicated. I'll let you say it again. God good. Satan bad. All right, let's go to Luke chapter 11. And I'm going to walk you down through a little bit of scripture here. This forgiveness piece, Luke chapter 11, starting at verse 14. This forgiveness piece. Satan will use philosophy through music, through movies. There's an agenda behind all music, all movies, all books, all literature, social media. Everybody's selling you a message. Don't, don't be a fool. Don't think it doesn't influence you. Jesus said, take heed what you hear. He said, let my words sink down into your heart. It says, guard your heart with all diligence. Out of it flows the issues of your life. What you believe, what you think is how you're going to behave. That's why you've got to saturate yourself with the things of God. So Satan will use philosophy, teaching. He will use other people. He'll use circumstances. He'll use your own sin against you. Shame. Guilt make you think that you're not worthy. All you have to say to the devil when he says you're not worthy is you just say, duh. That's all you got? That's your best shot? That I'm unworthy? That's it? I could have told you that. You see, when he uses your sin against you, it's not that you don't believe God's good. You just don't know how good. Because... His grace is greater than your sin. The blood of Jesus is more powerful than any sin you commit. It cleanses and washes you from all sin. If you confess your sin to God, He's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. The devil's not going to tell you that. He'll use your sin against you. You feel shame, and now you would have happened. There's a gap. There's a gap between you and God. And your own, on your own thinking. The shame, your condemned heart. There's a gap. I'm, and then Satan will say, you're a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. You can't pray. You can't praise. You can't go to church. You can't read the Bible. You can't act like a believer. I know what you've done. You're a hypocrite. No, you're not. You're, you're a Christian trying to walk out the Christian life, and every once in a while you stumble and fall. That's what the blood's for. Can I hear an amen? amen. A hypocrite is someone who had no intention of trying to be a Christian. They're pretending. That word comes from Greek theater, a hypocrite, where they have a stick with a fake face and they put it in front of you and go to a party and write it like soap operas. When you know the deceiver and you're watching the soap opera, don't say you don't watch them. They're not called soap operas anymore. They're called whatever they're called now. Whatever show you're watching, it's just full of soap opera, right? And you know who the liar is, the deceiver, the manipulator, but they're you know, shining everybody on and everybody thinks they're the good person. You know, they're the bad person and you're just, you're getting all anxious and, and you know, you want, want them to get busted. You want righteousness and justice. That's a hypocrite. I'm one person, but I'm pretending to be another. I have no intention of being the real me. That's not a, a hypocrite. You're not a hypocrite. Look at you in church. 
You came here because you want to hear the Word of God. You want to get closer to God. And God loves it. You're just a believer that's walking with the rest of us. And every once in a while, you get dirty. That's what the, what the grace of God's for. The blood of Jesus is for. He'll also use other people. All this is trying to separate you from the goodness of God. He uses other people. You're going to get hurt. People are going to hurt you. They're going to be, oh man, they are going to do the ugly to you. And guess what? You've done the ugly to them. You're not the only, you're, you're, you are not the only person on the planet who has never sinned against somebody else. Just stop that. Come on. That's foolishness. Hurt people hurt people. You've been hurt by people. You've hurt people. That's what forgiveness is for. God says, I've forgiven you. you got to forgive them. No. Ooh. Gap. And let me tell you what Jesus said about unforgiveness. Jesus very clearly said, and I think it's uh, Matthew chapter 18, that if you do not forgive your brother or sister... No matter how badly they've hurt you, it's not as bad as you hurt heaven. Your sin put Jesus on the cross. That's pretty bad. One person at one time said, oh, sin's not so bad. It just means missing the mark. Like an archer shoots an arrow and just misses the mark. I said, well, somebody ought to sort of told the father that because he already sacrificed his son for our sins. Sounds to me like sin's a little more important than just missing a target with an arrow. It cost Jesus his life. So when God has forgiven you for your sins and then somebody sins against you and you won't forgive them, let me tell you what happens. A door opens to the enemy. Because that's rebellion. It's resistance. No, I will not. Some say you can't. That's not true. You can't. Because Jesus will help you. You won't. You won't. You won't let him go. And so Jesus said, that's a doorway for the enemy to get in. And you know what he said? Until you forgive, you're going to be tormented. Some of you are living in torment because the enemy used another human being to torture you. Emotionally, mentally, maybe physically. Ripped you off. Mistreated you. Somehow you've been mishandled. And you've got anger and bitterness in your heart and you refuse to forgive. That is a doorway to the enemy and you will be tormented until you completely forgive from the heart that other human being. And Paul said it this way. Remember I was talking about the strategies of the enemy? Paul said... We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Hand-to-hand -hand combat. You get into a situation with another human being and they hurt you. And all you can look at and see is them. Ugh, you see their face. You think about them. Ugh. Paul says you've got to get behind the human being to the powers and principalities that are behind the human being that drove them to do the ugly to you. He said, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, and spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's the regime of the demonic powers in the unseen realm. And they manipulate human weakness, and they drive one another to hurt one another. That's why spiritual love is spiritual warfare. Humility is spiritual warfare. Forgiveness is spiritual warfare. How can Satan get his hooks into a person who just keeps forgiving people? And I'm going to tell you something. As a pastor of 35 years, I didn't just get this out of some book I read. <laughs> yeah, you got to get really good at forgiveness if you're going to be a preacher. I pr Woo! 
I'll tell you what, man, you better get really good at forgiving people. Why? Because sheep bite, man. And the goats, they do more than bite. The goats are nasty. The sheep are usually just kind of well-meaning. They nibble, they bite a little bit. Goats, woo, and then there's some wolves. But he also uses circumstances. All right, Luke chapter 11. I know I'm preaching a little bit longer than normal today, but I knew I would, and I don't care, because this is good stuff right here, and you need it. Luke chapter 11. I'm going to do this out of the New Living Translation, so I'm going to jump in here, my Bible app. One day Jesus cast out a demon from a man who couldn't speak, and when the demon was gone, the man began to speak. Okay, you know what? Actually, I'm going to save that for next week. You think? Yeah. I, I can't, I can't, I can't embark on another trip right now. That, that, that's too good for me to just brush over. Today's message is God is good. The inside of Him, through and through. No matter what has happened to you, no matter how badly you sin, no matter how badly somebody has sinned against you, no matter how bad the circumstances are in your life, like my wife and I right now, you gotta just flat out cleave to the truth. God is good. Otherwise, you're gonna find a gap between you and God. And that gap is an issue. Because the more, the bigger the gap, the more lies Satan can cram into that gap. And then you get farther and farther away from Him. So as I was saying, I woke up with the song of God's goodness in my head. I got into my devotional and it was the one I read to you today. Moses said, show me your glory so I'll show you my goodness. Then I opened up a devotional from a pastor that I love and I'm reading his daily devotional. It was on the goodness of God. And I thought, wow, you're warning me right now. You're, you're drawing me near right now. Because my wife's in bed in there and she is busted up and she's the best Christian I know. She's the best woman I know. My kids are watching her get pummeled. They got to be asking questions too. I'm thinking about my kids. Like, man, they're walking with God. They're, they're getting tested right now. They're going to have to decide God's good even though they see not good happening to their mom. You see, Satan's going to try to put a wedge between my kids and God, between me and God, maybe between you and God. You know, what's wrong with my pastor? What's wrong with my pastor's wife? What's what's going on? You know, my wife said, you know, I bet you people are judging me right now. Probably judging us right now. I said, oh, you know they are, girl. 100%. No doubt about it. Some people will leave the church because, you know, oh, there's something wrong with the pastor and the wife because they can't get, you know, that's happening to them. Something, you know, they must be in sin. I don't know. I don't think so. I've been asking God about it. But, you know, whatever. They, you know, you leave, you leave. Other people will probably come. So, you know what? They need... They need some reinforcements. We're going to reinforce. People are going to have opinions. People are going to judge. Whatever. Who cares? Let's just stay close to God. That's all. That's all we can do, baby. God's good. We're going to snuggle up as close to Him as we can get. My kids are going to have to make their own decisions and their walk with God. I pray to God they stay close and never believe that He's a bad God. He's a good God. Because you want to come back anyway, because you're going to go out there, you buy those lies, you go out there, you're going to get beat up, and now you're beat up without God. I'd rather be beat up with God. Right. Okay, here's the last thing I'm going to say in close. 
And it's amazing. When I know what I'm going to say, and I hear what Josh says, I hear what Stephanie says, and it's right out of my scriptures, right out of my notes. I'm like, oh my gosh, God's speaking to us today. When Stephanie was saying goodness and mercy, follow you all the days of your life. It's like this. You get this gap, right? And you know people say, well, I'm so far from God. You ever heard that before? I'm so far from God. Anybody ever heard that? Come on. I'm so far from God. Maybe you said it. I'm so far from God. I don't know, I've sinned so bad, or it's been a long time since I've been in church, I'm so far from God. And you got that gap, right? And the gap got bigger, and the gap got bigger. Kind of like my dad, when my brother Don Allen died, tragic car accident. He was 20, I was 16, he was my idol. He, I so admired him, I, was, I looked up to him. So I played drums, because he played drums. I mean, he was everything. Tragic car accident, he dies. My dad, after the funeral, open casket. Everybody leaves the funeral home. My dad, who had faith in God, climbed into the casket, laid on top of my brother, and asked God to to exchange lives. Let me die. Let my son live. When that did not happen, my dad, here comes the lie, wedge. The lie, I guess God is not as powerful as I thought he was. He's not all powerful because he did not answer my prayer. He didn't take my life and let my son have his life back. He, that wedge got bigger and bigger. He started reading more and more books that were anti-Christ books. He filled his mind with worldly philosophy until he became a professed atheist. For 25 years, he wasted 25 years, became an alcoholic, destroyed all of his relationship with the kids. But you know what? I know about that gap. It's just all right up here. Because here's the truth. It's like this. My kids are younger, and they're walking out of the room, and I just want to play around with them because I'm a dad, and that's what dads do. We're just goofy, and we play. And they're walking. I walk right behind them, right? And I walk around that. They don't know I'm behind them. And then they turn around like, ah! And I'm like right there like, ah, I got you, right? That's what God does. Goodness and mercy, follow me. The psalmist says, if I go to hell, you're there. If I go to the farthest parts of the sea, you're there. I can't get away from you. You're like stuck to me. Everywhere I go, I can't get away from you. It was a good thing, Psalm 139, but that's what it's like. No matter where you are today, no matter how far you think you are from God, no matter how what kind of lies you've believed about Him that have driven you far from God, guess what? All you got to do is turn around, and there He is. <laughs> But he's not going to scare you like I did my kids. It says, goodness and mercy are following me. (laughs) Oh, man. He's so good. The Bible says the goodness of God leads you to repent. To repent means stop acting like an idiot. Stop thinking like an idiot. Stop thinking you know it all. Your unworthiness, your sin, your shame, just turn around. Boom. There's Jesus. And all he's got is mercy and forgiveness and goodness and your restoration is instantaneous it's a miracle of forgiveness and mercy that's what happened to my dad he finally broke he finally turned instant restoration I used to pray for my dad and I'd say to God I'm praying for my dad to be saved and you know I don't believe it's ever going to happen I'm praying because I know it's the right thing to do 
And the day that my dad and I were standing in church and we both had our hands raised, I looked over at him and I saw him at this house out. That's crazy, man. God's hand's not too short. God's arm's not too short. His hand's not either. <laughs> he can reach you no matter where you are. Come on, let's all stand. Say, God is good. Come on. When we're singing that early, we're singing those songs. I sing it loud and proud, man, because I want Satan to hear it. I want him to hear me talking about the goodness of God. And let me ask you this. If somebody's talking smack about you, are you going to come saddle up next to them and be their friend? No. You're not going to go be close to somebody talking smack about you. When you and I say things about God that aren't true, it doesn't draw him. But when you and I, in the midst of our trial, don't be like Job's wife that says to Job after he had trial after trial after trial, why don't you just curse God and die? She goes down as the worst wife in history. Right. And you know she wishes to God that wasn't recorded. Tells Job, just curse God. Just get this over with. Curse God and die. And you know what Job said? Even if God were to kill me, yet will I trust Him. Yeah. That's what God said. God said, ooh, I love it. And then God said, hey, Satan, Tish, smacks him upside the head. That's enough. And he says, I'll tell you what, Job, I'm going to give you twice as much because I like the way you trust me no matter what. When you and I sing songs about God's goodness, it draws him because that's his name. That's who he is. We're calling on him. Will you sing to God and His good about His goodness right now? I'm going to ask them to sing the song about God's goodness again. And look, no matter how far you think you are from God, you're right there. Just turn around. Maybe you believe some things about God that aren't true. Repent right now in your mind. As we begin to sing this song about His goodness, change your thinking. Decide today that God is good all the time. You come home. I just got a word of knowledge from the Holy Spirit. Some of you think that you're on plan B with God because you've blown it. You just don't know the power of the blood of Jesus. You don't have to do penance. You don't have to work off your sins. You don't have to say you're sorry a thousand times. Just turn around. Just turn your back on that sin. Just turn around. Say, I'm all yours, Jesus. That's it. That's it. His blood's enough. He doesn't need your groveling. You're reinstated. You're a son. You're a daughter. Just come on home. Just come on home. Most worship. Come on, let the devil hear you sing about the goodness of God.
Somewhat successful ministries because of people that help me. Thank you very much. I mean that. Some of you need help breaking some chains. And so I'm going to ask the prayer teams to come on up front here and uh, they're going to continue to worship. You're welcome to come up. If you've never given your life to Jesus, you've been lied to your whole life about who he is. Let him prove himself to you. The prayer I got saved on was, Jesus, I don't know if you're real or not, but if you're who they say you are, I match you into my life. You know, I had no idea I was going to be a preacher. But see, he proved himself to me. Jesus said to Peter, who do you say I am? You're the Christ, the son of the living God. He said, nobody convinced you of this. My father in heaven just, just showed it to you. If you've never given your life to Jesus, you need to come right up front here and have these folks pray with you. And you're going to experience a peace in your soul you've never known. It's a peace that only Jesus can give. It's the forgiveness of your sins. If you've got some bondages in your life, you bought some lies that took you down a road or some kind of addiction, or maybe you've rationalized some sin, and you've been convicted today. The Holy That's a gift from the Holy Spirit. Conviction is a gift of the Holy Spirit to separate you from sin, to separate you from God. You come on up, man, and just let them pray with you. Reinstate, refresh, restart, new start. Leave here stomping on the devil's neck saying, you deceived me. I'm going to pay you back. And then take one of these to somebody. Give it to them. So you need to get your butt in church. Easter. Might not want to say that, but... Give them a book. Take two or three of these. I don't want to see any of these left on campus. Come on. Let's, let's tell people about Jesus. Let's not be selfish. All right, so if you need prayer, come on up. Prayer team's up here. Salvation, healing, deliverance. Right here.
These guys are going to continue to worship. You're welcome to slip out if you want. You're welcome to slip up if you want. You're welcome to stay there and worship if you want. God bless you guys. Mark.